Hello and welcome back to ESPN Scrum Reset. It's Sam Bruce joined as ever by Christy Doran. Uh, this time following round three of the rugby championship where we had fantastic few hours of rugby between uh, in both Adelaide and Christchurch on Saturday afternoon and evening. Uh, plenty of talking points to get into as usual, Christy. Um, mate, you're over in Adelaide. Uh, just set the scene for us. Uh, how was the crowd? I'll tell you what, it's not even midday. It's probably 11.30-ish um, local time in Adelaide and you're walking from the city across the beautiful bridge and river there and it's such a gorgeous city and I'd never been there and I kind of all these years watching cricket and you kind of you get a bit of a feel about it, the city of churches and um, I always they talk about the lunches and the, the long afternoons in Adelaide but you really got that feel about it and there was such a, a nice um, atmosphere even at 11.30 and this is 45 minutes before the women are, are running onto the field and it's um, a few hours before the main big kind of game, the reason why we're kind of there between the Wallabies and the Springboks. And it already had that that atmosphere about it. And 36,000 people, um, so well short of capacity, but it had that feel of this is a big vibe and that there's um, an interested crowd, that there is plenty of gold. And it was great for afternoon rugby. And that was something to savour. And, and you can't do it every year. You can't even do it every second year having a, a Wallabies test there given um, where the game is largely played. But with a World Cup on the horizon, I thought it was a great, great show and, and something to, to get around because when the World Cup does come around, you can go, mm, you know, Rugby Australia actually has brought a game there in the not-so-distant past and they got a heck of a reminder about what the Wallabies have to offer because there was some sparkling play, good tries, had a bit of everything, a bit of controversy and an absolutely tackle for the ages from Marika Corbetti. Absolutely. Uh, the only drawback being uh, some pretty soft ratings on uh, free-to-air television for Channel 9, I think about 250,000 metros. So that's always a trade-off. We know that this is why we don't get much afternoon rugby, particularly yeah. much afternoon test rugby, is that the uh, TV ratings take a, take a mega hit. Uh, you mentioned the tackle there, Marika Corbetti. Um, seems like a, a good place to start or at least talk about his performance in general. Um, I can't remember a more damaging, more complete, um, just jaw-dropping 80 minutes or, sorry, it wasn't 80 minutes, about 65, 67, I think, at the end when he was when he was hooked and, and deservedly got an early shower, Christy. Um, some brilliant stuff. It started early on, which I think was probably glossed over. There was a chase back, turn, collect, kick out, and he made about 30 metres with a kick. And that probably just highlights the, the, uh, the evolution in his game, which you and I have touched on before, that, when he came across from league, there was not a kicking game to be had and slowly but surely he worked that in. And in the last, um, you know, season and a bit, uh, obviously away with, uh, with Robbie Deans in, in Japan, he's worked on that even more, but beyond that, uh, the tackle, as you mentioned, um, firstly, I'll get your thoughts on that, uh, how you saw it. And then uh, just Marika's game in general. Well, look, the tackle itself was, was electric and, and the crowd was, there wasn't a, a louder moment in the match than when Marika um, manages to force an error from Nakazol Mapimpi, who's a, a classy player and, and someone who scored in the World Cup final and knows how to get to the try line. Look, I've seen commentary around people thinking it's illegal. I don't. I really don't think it's illegal. And, and I'll say why. And that's 
you know, before we get to the heroics and the incredible work rate that he's done to get across to it, um, covering in the absence of Tom Wright, who was in the sin bin at the time, he's gone at least 50 metres um, along his try line to get there. And he ended ends up meeting Mapimpi on a 90-degree angle. Now, I don't actually know how you can get your right arm around to wrap when you're going at such force, such speed, such velocity to get across there when you present your left arm. Because Mapimpi wasn't in front of Corabetti. So you know, he, he was fractionally behind him. Therefore, it was the left side of Marika Corabetti's body and arm that tackles Mapimpi, forcing the error. Now, Look, I don't think he goes in there just with the shoulder. And, of course, the right arm can't wrap for the reasons I've just explained. But you know, I, I think it was, it was incredibly um, acrobatic almost. Um, and and the, the tackle itself was, was so explosive, meaning that the pimpy goes over the top. But I didn't think it was necessarily dangerous um, from Corabetti anyway. And, and I think that given... Given the side of where he was on, it was it was honestly impossible to get his right shoulder and right arm across. And even if he had attempted to do so, it probably would have made it more dangerous for both men because Corabetti would have been twisting his body in mid-flight. And you know, if if there's a sudden change of direction from a pimpy, which there wasn't, it could have meant that you know there was more danger. A player not in control of their own body. Um, so I had no issues with it. I thought it was play on. Um, how did you see it? Because it has divided, you know, those that watch the game in the rugby community. Yeah, I think you can look at it as, yeah, we all admit it's probably not the greatest technique in the world. When you're teaching kids to tackle, it's all about all about putting your, your head in the right spot. And the head was in front of the body there. And we quite often see some concussion uh, result from that. If Marika had got his head behind Mahimpi, so gone in, say, um, with his with his head on behind Mapimpi's right uh, hip or, or buttocks, if you like, then that's probably the, the desired technique you're looking for there. But there's certainly a dip in the the back, isn't there? There's there's no question of of high contact. The the left arm is there, and and as you said, we're dealing at um, at such speeds. Like I think it was perfectly described by Andrew Mertens in commentary, saying that Marika had been it was like he'd been shot out of a cannon, and and that's how he charged over. Like that. Now he's going all in to make that tackle, um, and perhaps you know it, it is you know a, a slightly too much for asking him for him to you know absolutely get the timing right so he is in a position to get his head behind Mapimpi rather than in front. But yeah, look, I, I thought um, Paul Cully's taken the, the Herald this afternoon is, is fairly spot on. I don't think uh, under the the way the laws are written now that um, that was an illegal tackle. And you know what? I thought it was handled. Very well for the officials. You and I have been on about all year about wanting speed in the game and and uh, you know urgency in decision making, particularly when it goes to the TMO and the match uh, the match officials. So Paul Williams took one look with I think it was Brendan Pickerel, uh, the TMO yesterday. He was happy. He saw the left arm there. I know Squidge Rugby pointed it out on on social media today with a freeze frame to to one particularly passionate uh, South African uh, fan slash correspondent. Um, so yeah, look, uh, not as I think it best summed up as probably not the greatest technique in the world, but illegal. No. Yeah, I agreed. And look, it, it, it was, it was more than anything 
or maybe not more than anything, but for this for the spectacle and the show, I thought I was so pleased that that wasn't ruled um, illegal. And and the other thing that you know, the last point of conjecture around uh, tackles and deliberate knockdowns. And I don't. I, Brendan Pickerel coming in after a try um, was scored and and potentially ruling on a yellow card, deliberate knockdown. With Noah Lolaseo towards the end was was ridiculous. I, I couldn't believe. Well, particularly when Paul Williams had called it, said that's back at the time. It, it, it had no reason to be called, and it kind of there was a bit of a feeling of what what are we looking at here on the screen? Um, there was a lot of it was quite a long delay, and and it stops the momentum. Um, and the other one probably being Nick White should it would it should Nick White. Um, the, the little slap, the little, you know, what are we going to call it there from, from Faf to Clerk? It wasn't, wasn't a punch, maybe a strike at the very most from Faf to Clerk on, on Nick White around the time uh, of Corabetti's incredible tackle there. Um, gets a yellow card and Faf to Clerk found it pretty comical himself. What, what, what did you think? Did you, did you say, think it was just a bit of Hollywood theatric? Did it, was it worthy of a yellow card? I thought penalty at the very most would have been sufficient. I think penalty, you and I would certainly agree on that. But you can see how Paul Williams has, has given it, um, you know, a, a yellow under the laws. So that's it's contact with the head. Uh, who knows how much force was there? Certainly Nick White had uh, reacted as if he'd been hit by a dump truck. Um, and I don't think we, you know, certainly don't want to see that in the game. Uh, Australians all blew up when Anthony Geelong, uh came down like a ton of bricks following that Marika Hit which earned him a red. It was later overturned, as we remember. Um, yes. Up in arms about that. And look, I wrote in my piece for SPN that it was something you know you'd expect to see in the English Premier League, not in the Rugby Championship. So, look, I'm sure Nickel, you know, in hindsight, he, he plays on the line though, doesn't he? He's, yeah. you know, he's a tough competitor. He's probably got a bit of gamesmanship in him, and and he might say that that's exactly what that was. It had the desired outcome. Um, he probably didn't expect to get. Um, a yellow card, but we also teach our teach our kids to to play the whistle. And Nick, in no way, played the whistle there. He, in fact, he you know fell back and and was definitely waiting for that in the hope that that call was going to come, wasn't he? That it was going to be at least a penalty. And you know, I, I thought a, a yellow was tough, but uh, you know, if uh, to side with Paul Williams, um, you know, he's probably just following the, the laws of the game again. So yeah, it's, it's, but that was a you know two big massive turning points in the first half, wasn't it there? after the Springboks had had a sustained period of dominance for the back 20, basically, of that second quarter of the, the first half there. And first of all, the Corrimetti hit uh, into that tackle from, from Faf to Clerk, and it really, I think, sucked the life out of the Springboks. Yeah, and, and it's like just, just closing on that point around the yellow, look, it's, it's important to note that no play or, or very rarely does a player go out there intentionally trying to make eye contact. It just happens. So should it be any different for a when he's trying to slap down the ball as opposed to making a tackle, you know, I don't really see the difference there, but it, it did look particularly, um, if I can use the word soft. Um, but look, for once we're talking about the Wallabies having a, a clinical edge to them. And that's something that we don't see. Um, but very rarely do we see. We saw it perhaps in Mendoza for a short while, even though opportunities were missed. But you know, we, we think about some of the tries that were taken yesterday and it starts after 62 seconds with, with Fraser McRight, but even the, um, the, the well-taken, astute decision-making from Noel Olaseo to give uh, Marika Corabetti the, the space, the time to put some footwork on, to get past a, 
and Andre Pollard, whose defence at times is suspect. But you know the 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 great try second phase from the uh, the the set play from from starting with Nick White to James Slipper to Noah Lolaseo and and a brilliantly finished off taken try by McRite for his second midway through the second half. It we've seen this play a number of times and we saw it even against England and Sydney where. Slipper puts Taniella Tupo through a, a gaping hole, and unfortunately, Taniella couldn't find his his. Uh, it was Nick Frost on, on that occasion. Yep. Here, we've, we've seen a guy, a Noel CEO, who's a playmaker, who's got the business done. Theatrically, he's got the, the business done. Um, How I would have liked to have seen is just a simple left to right pass rather than a flick, though. I think I think you know it, it looks great. Uh, it probably does show the confidence that James Slipper has spoken about in the past by saying he is a confident kid. Yeah, that was an example of that. There was a, it was quite audacious almost, but it was it was a straight out of the, the Quade Cooper kind of book. But uh, they took their chances, and that is so important, particularly when you're playing in Australia in front of your home audiences where. People are watching, and you know we we might have talking about spoken about the the ratings not being as high as usual. Well, there were people because I've had people text me and go, "Geez, weren't the Wallabies impressive?" Or you know, what about Noah Lolosi? Or what about Tom Wright? Like people that are rugby league kind of people that weren't watching because it wasn't at prime time. So it might have been a slightly different audience that yep, have now enjoyed it and and been re engaged with with the Wallaby sides that that is one. Fraser McWright, uh, you mentioned there the try after the 62 seconds and then to loom up in support. We know this is a real feature of Fraser's yeah. game. His support players, probably as good as any in, in Super Rugby uh, Pacific this year. He's got so much speed. Uh, he also got on the ball a couple of times. There was one turnover, I think, uh, that led to Marika's try that Hunter Paisami kicked downfield, uh, Corumbetti with a chase. And then that was uh, that was the play, I think, uh, that sorry, that set up the the set play try to to McRide. Um, a really busy game. Uh, he also got an early shower. And I guess, you know, we, we, we keep hearing that we're certainly not going to see Michael Hooper for the rugby championship. Doubts about whether uh, he'll get back at all this season. Um, Fraser's certainly going to benefit from an extended run here. Um, who knows what might happen next year, but into the future, these are valuable, valuable reps for Fraser right now, aren't they? Yeah, and, and you, you, you bang on the money, but... What it, what it drives home to me and something that we've spoken about is that when you give youth some opportunities, they can take it. And they might not take it immediately because Noel Oliseo hasn't necessarily taken every starting opportunity um, with, with both arms. But here we've got Noel Oliseo who's thrived on the big stage after being dropped. Here, Fraser McWright coming in for Michael Hooper. Massive shoes, dramatically comes in a couple of weeks ago. And in his third match, probably looks more comfortable out there. Been given an opportunity, likely to be given more opportunities in the weeks to come. He looks so at home, I think, in the in the, in the the test cauldron. And, and, and I'm glad that they chose and stuck with Fraser rather than bringing a Pete Samo in. And even, you know, we know that Pete's a, a super sub, so to speak. But they could have gone, oh, we want the bigger frame, the bigger body, because that's what South Africa do. Well, not necessarily. I think having a guy who's so good on the ball, um, that link play, um, you play to your strengths sometimes just as much as you try to uh, curtail the opposition strengths. And I, I thought that was an encouraging selection 
there. Um, we're going to see more of him. And we spoke to him after the game, and he's an articulate young man who who is is loving life. He's he's had a two and a half year wait, you know, precious opportunities, you know, sparing scraps of minutes on on the field when games were done in Sydney. I think the game was done in Auckland as well when he came off the bench too with ten minutes. Like it's a big, big moment, and to have taken it with both arms is is just really, really significant because the the team is is crying out for leadership, and he's this young guy that looks like he's got leadership potential behind him. So does Tate McDermott. We saw him get good minutes, and and this is the the, the final point on that is that the Wallabies had won the game. The game was sewn up. And not often do Australians ever sew a game up to allow for 20, 25 minutes for players right. to come on. But but it needs to be done even if you're losing at times. You've got to back them. And and I hope that they continue to back Noel Oliseo in to Sydney, which I'm sure he will. But I think why not bring Bernard Foley in on the bench? And Noah doesn't need to play 80 minutes. He could play 55 minutes. And sometimes they, things might be going well. And if they're not, it doesn't matter. You know, give the guy an opportunity to, to collect himself on the bench because sometimes you can learn having played 50 minutes, got a feel for it, and then gone, oh, okay, there's another way to do it or I can bring you off because you're not quite nailing it and you can maybe learn and see how someone else goes about it. Yeah, quite a nice exchange. I don't know if you've seen it on uh, Instagram today between Quade Cooper and Noah Lolaseo, uh, almost the father-son relationship uh, Basically, one for you, Dad, and uh, I'm proud of your son. And maybe not yeah. those words, but uh, that's basically the gist of it. Uh, Christy, clearly wasn't the perfect performance. Lineouts were just atrocious. Um, the Wallabies, really the only way they could win one was to throw to the front. Um, and by the front, I mean the person, whoever was standing there uh, to start the lineout. I think it was Jed Holloway on a couple of occasions. Um, I'm not sure it was all Palau Fahinga's uh, fault. Obviously, the, the Springboks have a wonderful defensive lineout. The other thing was that I don't think the Springboks can be that bad again next week in Sydney. Yeah. And they, um, Andre Pollard looked dreadfully out of sorts. Uh, those two ordinary, sorry, two, you know, simple penalty misses, you'd back him to, to throw those over on nine days out of 10. Um, he was obviously skinned by Corin Betty for that try. I wonder, will uh, Jacques and Nienaber consider bringing Elton Yankees in? Um, it would be a big call, but um, certainly uh, Andre looked uh, dreadfully out of sorts. You're right. Um, but I said to a couple of the colleagues that were sitting next to me and I said, when, when he missed the first one, and I said, oh, often if he misses the first one, he, he, he misses the second one too. He's a very hot and cold kicker and his overall stats actually aren't very impressive. I think he kicks around the, the 67 to 72% kind of ratio. He, when he hits the ball, it, it, when he's kicking well, he kicks it beautifully and it's got great height. It's almost like a golfer with a five iron and it just it pings. But at times he can shank them a bit and we saw that. And if those penalties go over, if, if Mapimpi scores that try, it, it has the feel like it could be a different game. Um, I agree. I don't think South Africa can be much worse. The amount of line-out ball that they overturned, the scrum dominance that they had, um, you you suspect that if they can nail some of those basics, like they look very very threatening for about a fifteen minute period between the fifteenth to the thirty fifth minute, really. And and McWright came up with a, a huge breakdown um, steal there, and 
I don't know yeah. if he was necessarily awarded for that penalty. I think there was something else right oh, there. Tackle. He faff got him around the chops, yeah. Yeah, I, but I thought he had hands on the ball anyway, and he wasn't necessarily even allowed to to, to get hands on the ball because the, the Springbok didn't release the ball. I think it was Lou Diego yeah. from memory. Um, so it could have been a penalty in, in three different ways, but you're right, they won't be much worse. Oh, you imagine a couple of changes will take place. Um, it's a big match for the Springboks, and and if the Wallabies can win this, look, you wouldn't rule them out of, of going on for the championship. But there's there's this is this is an exciting moment for Australian rugby to go. Can you take it? Can you take this moment in Sydney where you've won one match since 2015, and that was against I think it was Samoa in 2019 ahead of the World Cup. It is a hugely important game to try to win back the faithful in, in Sydney because brand new spanking ground at Sydney Football Stadium. 40,000 people will be there uh, Saturday evening. Huge game ahead of a Bledisloe series. Yeah, can't wait. I wonder will they consider bringing Quagga Smith in? Obviously, he came off the bench. We know, you know, he's a bit like Pete Samu. He's, he's an impact player. He can yes. really come on and he's got the sevens background, very busy. Um, would they consider playing he and see Khaleesi alongside to perhaps, you know, combat what is probably a, a slightly more mobile Wallabies pack? Obviously, you know, as you mentioned, Lud Diego and, and even Etzebeth are probably the premier locking combination in the world or certainly one of the best. And they combine superbly with some tip on passes. But I'm not sure Peter Steph de Toy is absolutely at his best at the minute um, of uh, a couple of back to back injuries, I think. Uh, um, while playing for the uh, Stormers, is he? Or is he I think he still is. Yeah, he might have left recently. But I, I agree. I think he is just slightly off the pace. Um, he was World Rugby Player of the Year from, from memory in 2019 and then yep. has had a pretty injury-ravaged injury couple of years. I think you're right. So interesting to see what happens, yeah. But I uh, can't wait to uh, to Saturday, isn't it? We, hopefully we get a, a day like we've got here, a Sunday afternoon right now next Saturday. Uh, the opening is taking place as we speak, the open day couple of concerts on and my nephew's actually got to start out playing a bit of rugby uh, to kick it all off. So he's the first Bruce to get on a major stadium. Congrats to you, young Toby. Um, can't wait. Saturday night should be brilliant, mate. Yeah, it should be exciting. And, and I just said, look, they've got to, they've got to take this moment. There's been so many times where the Wallabies have threatened. Um, now it's important to kick on. And, and Dave and James Slipper, Dave Rennie and James Slipper spoke just about that um, yesterday afternoon, their post-match press conference, you get the feeling that the the review, um, brutal review that they described coming off the back of San Juan has kind of um, struck a nerve. And I think that's as well because you've seen Matt Taylor um, essentially forced out of the Wallabies uh, coaching structure. You know, he might be, and he is respected. He's particularly respected of the by the Reds class of, of 2011. But... Laurie Fisher's um, introduction there is, and he's a no-frills operator, a sort of guy that will say it how it is. And I thought that was great to see. Um, they won the collision there, and that was important because Nick White got front football. And if they can do that again, I get the feeling like they can win. They, they don't seem like they're scared playing South Africa. Um, it's funny how sport can at times present teams that match up well against each other. And, and I, you know, Reese Hodge wasn't particularly under much pressure yesterday. There, there wasn't a huge amount of contestable kicking. And it's, and it's because at times Australia gave away a, stuck, a, a truckload of penalties there, but 
they would kick for the corner or they would miss chances for goals that, you know, Hodge is still somewhat un untested um, there. Look, I think that they will, with more front football and challenging that, it'll present a different equation. There's so much excitement around these next couple of weeks, particularly now with, with New Zealand completely under the pump, um, having lost two of three matches to state in the, Super, in, the in the rugby championship, as well as, you know, that is what their, their fourth their fourth loss of the year, if, if memory serves, um, four, four from six. So yep. all sorts of drama happening across the ditch, which Michael Checker has just gone, thank you very much. And he's brutally exposed some of the shortcomings at the moment over in New Zealand. Yeah, perfect segue, mate. Just before we get there, though, you're 16-9 penalty account. So any um, South Africans out there perhaps uh, questioning referee Paul Williams? Yeah. Uh, we know there was a couple of 50-50 calls, but mm -hmm. to accuse him of being biased, as one, one particular Twitter follower of mine said, uh, is uh, just the definition of utter stupidity. Uh, let's move to Christchurch. Um, as we said, uh, just a, a, a massive win for, for Argentina. Uh, the Boomers, Argentine rugby, and of course, Michael Checker. And let's not forget David Kidwell because 96% um, tackle uh, effectiveness uh, was the Pumas yesterday. It was a blue and white wall. Uh, the All Blacks did score two, two tries. One was a, a rolling mall that um, Takayaho finished off and the other was virtually the only time they looked like opening up the Pumas defence scored by Caleb Clark in the first half. Uh, Emiliano Buffelli kicked all his penalties, was just striping them. Chalk and cheese with Andre Pollard, really, when you compare the two. Uh, and then uh, an opportune moment off the kickoff taken by the, the back rower, who looks a real player there alongside um, Marcus Kramer and, of course, uh, Pablo Matera, who was uh, just in love with Christchurch. It was uh, a <laughs> gripping encounter, um, fiercely contested at the breakdown. There's been a bit of a whinge on either side since then. Um, but you've got to give it to David Kidwell. What a, a, an incredible coaching performance to to put up a defensive wall like that uh, on New Zealand soil. Yeah, well, how, how similar was that to Parramatta two years ago? Yeah. You know, look, it Eerily. was on that on that afternoon in, in Parramatta, it was all Nico Sanchez there, and I think he scored a try there, quite an opportunistic try, and banged over penalty after penalty, and it came from the breakdown presence. And once again, that just completely disrupted the ball from... New Zealand, I had no answer for it, did they? Um, they didn't know how to resurrect that, overturn that, and overturn the momentum. And oh, Cody Taylor, uh, spare a thought for him. He he's losing that um, that last throw, caught not straight, um, huge. Not the huge worst moment. one I've seen in the world, mind you. No, no, not a, not at all. And um, it. it it's great for world rugby more than anything. And, and look, there will be people that are taking quite a bit of joy in what's going on. But I think more than anything, it's exciting because world rugby is so competitive. And you ask Sia Khaleesi and what he thinks of the Wallabies at the moment. And he goes, any international team at the moment can pretty much beat one another on, 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 day. on any day. And we're seeing that at the moment take place. And I think that's so good for the game. It's breathing new life into it and um, huge amount of pressure now on New Zealand. How they respond is going to be fascinating. But, but before we get there, you're right, David Kidwell deserves a lot of credit. Um, seems like he's loving it. I thought it was great, his reaction with Michael Checker in the press box. Um, this is perfect for Checker. It's, it's, it's 
it's pretty much 15 months from a getting his hands on these lost pumas to taking him to a World Cup. And it's so similar to what happened in, in 2014-15 with the Wallabies. Right in the sweet yeah. spot, isn't it? Yeah, and, and, and you think about in 14, Jordan McKenzie wasn't sacked. He, 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 he walked out, and, and he walked out for various reasons, but so did Mario Ledesma. He wasn't sacked. He, was full, um, he, he, he walked out himself probably mentally, physically burnt out from it through lockdowns and not playing a home test in Argentina for years. Um, he, he's going to get these Pumas firing and look, they, they could come up against the Wallabies or England comes up against the Wallabies in a quarterfinal in, in 2023 in France. And that is going to be just must, must, must watch rugby. And, um, but, for, you know, New Zealand, on the other hand, uh, uh, seem like they're, Back to square one, almost, don't they? Like, where does where does Mark Robertson turn to at the moment? All the pressure is now going to be turning onto him because you would look like a complete fool if you were to go away from Ian Foster now. With when many people thought it probably should have been ended, you know that relationship there. Um, I think it was all pretty predictable. There was always going to be a come down, wasn't there? After the the real emotional response at Ellis Park. Yeah, and as we said, uh, mind you, we probably got it wrong thinking that um, that was going to be a, a serene passage for the rest of the tournament. We've, you know, I'll happily put my hand up and say I clearly underestimated Argentina and, and what a fantastic win it was for them yesterday. Before we go there further, look, I'm going to claim that I had money on Argentina <laughs> uh, and they were paying 14, 14 to one. How, how much? How much? I didn't put much on. I'm uh, not gonna. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna try to claim that I put well, a hell of a lot now on. But I did pick the, the first try scorer too, so it was a good, good afternoon. Um, mate, your your shout at uh, in Melbourne in a couple of weeks' time. Um, yeah, you, you're right. Where, where where do they go? The pressure. Uh, well, the the buck stops with New Zealand rugby now. They've made their decision. The board's made its decision. We had the big showy press conference the other week where we're all pally once again. Ian Foster, Stuart Mitchell, and and Mark Robinson, as you said. Um, and now, look, the, I just read one particularly scathing piece uh, on stuff.co.nz from Mark Hinton, long-time scribe, with, uh, with them in New, New Zealand um, and just basically eviscerating New Zealand rugby. And the feeling, uh, can you only imagine what the talk was on the streets yesterday of Christchurch walking out of Orange Theory Stadium is that we've, uh, we've got this, this Ferrari in the shed and we're, we're not taking it out in the Ferrari. That is, of course, Scott Razor-Robertson. So... Look, um, they they can't go back now, can they? Though, like that, that's that's surely it. That they've made this decision. They said Ian Foster is our coach through to the Rugby World Cup in France in 2023, and now what is you know just a smidge over 12 months' time? Um, what do we work out? There's maybe nine, ten tests to go, um, New Zealand and Australia over the next 12 months, um, and have they completely bottled this decision? Look. The only way they get out of it from here is if it, Ian Foster goes and wins the World Cup next year with the All Blacks. Otherwise, this group of uh, this people on this board, this New Zealand rugby board, uh, are going to be absolutely smacked from, from pillar to post because um, already uh, this looks like potentially the worst decision in New Zealand rugby history. Yeah, and well, look, if they lose the Bledisloe, I think that that'll be done. Um, look, I'm not going to suggest that that will, but I think that is the only kind of thing that would lead to a, a sudden overhaul immediately. If that was to happen, um, it would be crisis. There would be a, um, 
there would be a lack of confidence. So I think the first person to go probably would be the CEO himself. There's huge pressure on Mark Robertson at the moment. And you're right, it's not just the talk in Christchurch, Razor country, it's the talk right across New Zealand, yeah. either side of the ditch and, and straight up to England as well. Because if Scott Robertson does go, as I said, I thought he might um, in 2023 up to, to England and potentially join Eddie Jones' coaching structure there, um, it'll just be uh, a very odd look um, and it, it could come back to bite them. But it, they've made their bed, haven't they? And, the, and that bed is with Ian Foster there for the time being. A huge drama. Uh, but I thought, you know, Michael Checker, before we kind of park that conversation, it's really important to say, what are Michael Checker's strengths? And we touched on it before about this period of this great kind of sweet spot of one, two, three years sort of thing with 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 teens but what he de- does so well is he, he he doesn't make it about him even though it can be the michael checker show he doesn't make it about him he makes it about his team and and we saw that when he was asked about what was sweeter beating the wallabies or beating new zealand uh, beating the all blacks in new zealand for the first time and he and he admitted yeah probably new zealand because it's the first time that he's done it but immediately he said but this is about now next week fronting up and going well if you're going to win a world cup you can't just do it one week one week for argentina is not good enough it might be for japan in, in 2015 when they're trying to show the world who they are argentina is a, a country a proud rugby country that's yep. been to a couple of semi-finals that had a really disappointing showing in, in 2019 but now look like they are once again, competitors, and that's great for rugby, but it shows Michael Checker's great ability and his man management. You know what it did make me think of, though, is, is that how he, he nailed himself to the mast there in 2019 with the Wallabies, and playing an attack at all costs. Yesterday, we saw a, a fairly one-dimensional uh, setup from Argentina, backing their defence, uh, selective at the breakdown, um, yeah. taking their opportunities when they can. But it, it showed that he had the ability to coach in in other fashions or to run other game plans, if you like. And uh, it just made me think of that and, and some of the, I think he got caught up in his own narrative there in, in he 2019. Did. And he's clearly had the reset. He's had time away. He's had time in rugby league, still with Lebanon. I assume that's still ongoing. He's got the league world cup later in the year, um, but just having a, a fantastic year. And as I'm sure um, David Kidwell, as he uh, told Sky Sport, I'm off for a few lemonades. Don't know whether you saw it, but there was a big, beautiful mural uh, painted of him in Christchurch on a, on a building wall last week. So, yeah, fantastic for the Pumas. Um, but, geez, it's uh, it's going to be an interesting week following the media coming out of New Zealand. Um, it's, uh, you know, if that was scathing from Mark Hinton, then I only have scratched the surface of it um, in terms of my sweep. But it should be fascinating over the next few days. Mate, uh, I believe you're off to the BBL uh, draft tonight. So we better let you... Get on the move. Uh, better you than me. I, I loathe T20 cricket, so um, have fun there. I will. Um, some, some big name cricketers and past cricketers there and Ricky Ponting in, in co. So um, should be fun. And, yeah, that was a great point there, highlighting the evolution of, of Checkers coaching. And it was something that wasn't lost on Matt Gitto, I don't think. And if you haven't seen the tweet, check it out because he did draw upon that um, uh, well played, well played Argentina, well played Michael Checker and indeed well played to the Wallabies for a good win. How these two nations now back it up is is the million dollar question. Can't wait to talk about it, see what transpires on both sides of the ditch because a fascinating 
fourth round coming up in the rugby championship. So good to join. Yeah, bring it on. Uh, thanks, guys. Uh, that's it for this Sunday. Uh, following round three, we'll be back again after round four. Uh, two fascinating games awaits, and we can't wait to bring you all the reaction and wrap up. Talk to you then.